Welcome to the Takedown Notice. Music podcasting of the future. Are you ready to get it on? Hey, do you guys smell that? I think it might be take down notice episode 10. Today we're talking about T-Rex's famous album, Electric Warrior. I'm Nate Owens. I'm coming to you from Olathe, Kansas. John, where are you? Grove City, Ohio. Aaron? Uh, Rochester, New York. Ryan? Seattle, Washington. Will? Where aren't I? Where aren't you? You're everywhere at once in a very abstract, metaphysical kind of way. I actually used to claim that I was bi-present. It's not as good as omnipresent, but it's better than you. (laughs) Twice as good, in fact. Seriously, though, Will's in Florida, so... (laughs) That's enough of that tomfoolery. Um, Will picked an album for us. He picked out Electric Warrior by T-Rex, 1971 glam classic, but we're going to talk about... Uh, we'll have we'll call this show and tell. Everyone, did you all bring an album or a song to talk about today? Will, did you? I did. I uh, show it show it to the class. Today I brought the Sunset Tree by the Mountain Goats. That just sounds like a fun song. <laughs> so this well, that's is actually an album. Brought a children's book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the track I would like you to listen to if you would find the time would be this year. My broken house behind me and good things ahead. A girl named Kathy wants a little of my time. We may do it as a single later on Six if you guys like it. The hood, and kicking. Ah, to the it's everything that's great about the mountain goats. I am gonna make it through this year. If it kills me. Cool. I, I never heard of the mountain goats. You you said that title and it sounded like a children's book. Like, it, like well, oh, he, and there, he really did there are some He really did bring show and tell today. I guess oh, really? if nobody knows the mountain. Well, does I'm sure Ryan knows the mountain goats. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised, Nate. I thought I thought we didn't even talked about the mountain goats before. We have not we talked about have. the mountain we... goats before. <laughs> Maybe it was Billy Gr- Gruff you were talking about. <laughs> that was it. Oh, 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 you're funny. Uh, the mountain goats are the are the the <laughs> name of what is essentially the one man project by John Darnell, uh, Darnell. I don't know. Um, but he has a band as well. Uh, he started out as a kind of hardcore lo-fi artist and then branched into more produced sounds. Um, but he's heavy on the on the storytelling. And while The Sunset Tree is not his most critically acclaimed album, it it kind of speaks to me in a way that some of his other stuff doesn't. Um, it, it really sets up an atmosphere. And this year, the song I mentioned is kind of like if Jack and Diane were actually good music. It would be this year. Ooh, shots fired on America. <laughs> wow. It's all right. She's a strong one. She can take it. That's right. <laughs> she made it this far. America. <laughs> Happy Memorial Day, everyone. There you go. Well, John, to save America, what what song did you or what album did you bring to show to the class? I've been listening to a ton of Zeppelin lately nice mainly because we listened to 
Will's album, and I wanted to think of something from the era that I liked more. Um, so <laughs> that was that was a good song. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just being. I'm just being facetious. Um, no, I. I, um, I saw that uh, they did like a reboot. Um, I don't know if it's just a remastering of um, a whole lot of love. So I mean, it's. I heard it on the radio the other day. I was like, man, I gotta go listen to some Zeppelin and some more. And God, I forgot how much I love them. You know what? Zeppelin's Zeppelin's one of those rare bands. There's a there's a few of these, but where you can't really point to a specific Zeppelin album and say that's the best one. There's like five um, that could legit. I, to me, at least, I don't I don't think so. Like I can, I, I go back and forth. I like four a lot. Um, Two. I like physical. I, I like physical graffiti a lot. I think that's a good album. I like one a lot. Well, one's awesome, one is, but one I would really say good, two, yeah. in my opinion, is is the best. It's got a whole lot of love. Heartbreaker, Ramble on, and Moby Dick. I, I really like Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker might be my favorite Zeppelin song. Yeah, and Moby Dick, I mean, it's got that amazing drum solo and everything. It's just, oh. And it's, Will and I used to talk about this, what our intro music would be if we just walked into a room and it just started playing every time we walked into the room. Moby Dick would be mine. I love that song. Ryan, did you you haven't said anything yet, have you? You want to say I've something? I've never now? listened to music before ever. No, <laughs> this is um, my first time in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what music is, but I'm finding out. No, I uh, I've talked about before. I, I like video game music a lot, yes. and usually it's been. Uh, what I would call classic music of just, you know, Nobuo Matsu and uh, Yoshihiro Mitsuda and other kind of classical Japanese composed, not classical, classical, but, um, you know, what the... Instrumental orchestral? Uh, or, or But, you know, like what you think of the canonical, like, yeah, like you have to listen to music, this is what it is. But anyway, uh, I've been listening to more modern era video game music and it's taken me a while because I haven't really expected much from it because probably around the PlayStation 2 late era video game music switched from more of an orchestral score to um, instance. So the score is much more of the background of what and responding to what you're doing in the game. So there's right. less melody to kind of hang on to. And so it's not as really listenable to me. Nothing stood out as much. Anyway, all that to say, I dug into... I, I was listening to the Mass Effect soundtrack, and Mass Effect is a game I liked okay. Um, but I was actually really surprised by how melodic and driven and moody the soundtrack is. It's it's uh, Last episode, we talked about music to do work to, and that had the same, the same drive to it. It just has this kind of overarching menace to the whole thing that's really, really engaging. Um, and I... I just listened to one song on a lark, and then I was like, "Hey!" Kind of. Then I just was listening to more and more, and it was it was pretty good. So, I've I've been listening to more more in that vein of more modern video game music, I guess. I think it was on Reddit somewhere, but someone was saying that a good, a really really good study music is modern video game music because it is designed yeah. to fade into the background and not irritate you, um, and yeah. not distract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and it does is... that, but then it, it also it, it hits up the high notes too, so you get sure. kind of the soaring sure. sense from time to time, and it I don't know, it was really interesting. Very cool. Awesome. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and go, and then we'll end with Aaron. I a couple weeks back, I picked up. I was in a used like a video game store, and they had a bunch of UCDs, and they had. Uh, a couple REM albums, which if you're if you like REM and you don't have all their albums, this is a great a used CD store is a great way to get their music cheap, <laughs> because they're just filled with REM albums. And I got uh, Automatic for the People and Reveal, which I didn't actually own. I got Reveal, and Reveal is an interesting album. It's not it's not it's not a starting point. You don't you don't it's not the first REM album you listen to, and it's it's from after. Bill Berry, their drummer, left in 1996, so or 1997, whenever that was, and it, you know, it's it's kind of fussy and kind of moody. It doesn't have a lot of big soaring hooks. It's funny you listen to it, and compared to the previous album, which was Up, which was a really moody and very kind of you know electronic bleeps and bloops kind of stuff, they were call, people were calling this one like the the more uplifting you know kind of album, and it really isn't. It still it still feels kind of sleepy and a little a little uh, calculated and it, it doesn't have nearly the spark of the early stuff but that doesn't mean it's not good or interesting to listen to and I've, I've been kind of giving that some listen to the song uh the very first song it's called the lifting i believe it just has a really nice uh a nice hook to it there's some really lovely songs in there it's not uh, like i said it's not a starting place but sometimes you get value in exploring the lesser more flawed albums uh for, for a good group and sometimes that can reveal some cool stuff so uh, see it can reveal some good stuff so, oh, yeah, I know. Aaron hasn't even gone yet. We already have one terrible pun on this. <laughs> Aaron, you go ahead. Yeah, I know this is like a running theme for us. Uh, no pun intended. I think the pun um, was very much intended. But I've been listening to Born to Run a lot, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and it's like the virus of this happens. podcast. Three of us yeah. have used it as a, in a what are you listening to thing. I, I really started to kind of get to know it. I'd given it a few surface listens before and <clears throat> been hearing all that you all were saying about it. And it's just, it is really just a remarkable album. I mean, the first five tracks are just, they're all really good. And I think probably Born to Run is my favorite song. But for no other reason, um, the first song that really just grabbed me was 10th Avenue Freeze Out. I was just going to say, the, I like that. That, that's a great the vocals, song. the way he executes the vocals, they're so aggressive, and yet they're very precise in the way he does. He has such great control over the energy of his voice. And the other thing that just keeps me coming back to that is because my daughter Cameron's very musical. She is singing it now with me, and I love it. <laughs> she sings the hook, and uh, that's so great. I, it just makes me love it at a different level now. And uh, so anyway, it's it's uh, just a great album, and I I think. It's one of those albums that, you know, track six and seven, She's the One and Meeting Across the River, you know, they're okay. But in a way, with such an album, you kind of just need a breather of, you know, of like awesomeness. Before, you know. I, you know. Yeah, you do. I, I think those those two songs especially, they kind of are two sides of the same point. I think She's the One is a great, and musically a really cool song. I love the beat to it. It's not a great lyric. I think Meeting Across the River is the exact opposite. It's kind of a boring song, but a really fascinating lyric. Mm-hmm. And then it and then it ends on Jungle, Land, Jungle Land, which is like a mountaintop song. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Everybody check their Jungle pants. Mm. Come on. Yeah, so it's just a great the arc of the album. Is perfect. Perhaps we should just pull so, the I, I think I think you, Aaron's the last one who hadn't heard Born to Run before starting this podcast. I think I, I think John and Will. I haven't listened to it in its entirety. Oh, Will, come on. 
get with we'll, it while we know it episode hey, uh yeah episode we, we got another two episodes yeah, to talk right. about it <laughs> that's exactly. right cool i'm pretty sure we can go like three episodes without it i will take that wager Just watch us john <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's totally gonna be one of the next albums. Uh, Will, I think you, I think you have something you want to talk about. Yeah, you know, I, I've got, I got the galaxy on my mind, man. Yeah, you do. <laughs> what album you got there, Will? I got T Rex's Electric Warrior. It's the, the background. This is kind of proto glam, and uh, while well, Aaron, I'm sure, will deny it over the course of this conversation, proto prog as well. Um, from 1971, uh, T Rex, formerly known as Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, there was apparently quite a bit of drama about the name change. Um, this was their second full rock and roll album after they transitioned from being a folk band. Um, <laughs> And it it really was kind of a watershed glam rock event. Um, it was uh, extremely popular in the UK. Uh, also made it across the pond. Um, the I don't know that it actually caught on, but but their publicist attempted to uh, promote a word kind of in the same vein as Beatlemania for for the popularity that T Rex had, which was T Rex to see. Um, <laughs> I like that way more than Beatles. That is great. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Um, so, and I, I've got a, I've got a case of T Rex to see. I gotta say, um, while I, I'm, I gotta say I'm not familiar with a whole lot of the rest of their catalog. This is an album um, that I have pretty deep emotional ties to. I'm not much of an album listener anymore these days. I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've gotten more into singles and hooks, but. This is one where I will I will hit play on Mambo Sun and stop just before ripoff begins. Well, you stop before ripoff. We'll we'll get to that. Oh, actually, let's get to that now. If Do it. Ma- yeah, if I always got the feeling from the first time I heard this album, which I was introduced to T Rex through the Billy Elliot soundtrack. Um, this album actually makes up a good chunk of the the musical score to the movie Billy Elliot um, about a ballet dancer in Ireland during the the coal troubles. So that's where I first heard everything except Bang and Gong, which I was already familiar with. And so I I first, my first listen to Electric Warrior, I went through it. I was with it up until at the very end. And I, I think that if this album had been released, say, in 1996 rather than 1971, it would have ended um, with Life's a Gas. That's a very kind of groovy, slow, peaceful outro. And then Rip Off would have been the hidden bonus track at the end of the CD. <laughs> iTunes bonus track. <laughs> yeah, no, even even pre-iTunes. You know how yeah. like you, you get to the end of the, the last track on the CD and you have to hold down the, the play or the forward button for another track? Like, because yeah. it's like yeah, 16 hidden track. minutes yeah, yeah. later. Nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's how I see ripoffing. It's not a it's not a bad song by Search of the Imagination. And it doesn't necessarily even belong like on a different album. Like I think it, there's a place it could fit, but where it fits is not after Life's a Gas at the end of the album. Um 
So I, it's, I can it's, maybe see that. I I, I yeah. like Rip Off too. I'm with Ryan, but it is it's a weird place to end. It's, it it's is, a weird and note it's to end the album. It's not my least favorite track on the album, but it's my second least favorite track, um, right behind Girl, oh. uh, which I'm sure Aaron will get to later. But yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. so anyhow, brief history. Um, other than what I already gave you, this was one of the biggest bands to make it to the states from England after the British invasion. And it really did kind of set the stage for a lot of what happened in, in glam rock and uh, even like DIY indie rock. Um, like the Smiths claim T-Rex as a, as a pretty significant influence. And everybody, um, you know, for the last 20 years claims the Smith as, Smiths as an influence. So yeah. <laughs> um, every moody high schooler in the world. Precisely. And we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, too, I think. But um the Moody High School thing is definitely a factor here. Um, the lead singer and guitarist for T-Rex didn't didn't make it to 30. And I feel like that kind of juvenility shows through in some of the lyrics, particularly in Girl. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I feel like this is a band that maybe didn't get the chance to mature in a way um, that that some other bands active at the time, like the Stones, might have. Uh, but that doesn't make this any less of an amazing album. I love this too, Will. I thought it was great. I There's a lot of things I, I like about it. it it's, it's kind of proto-glam, like you say. I mean, proto-glam, again, we're creating meaningless words and then saying, oh, this is the genre it is. You know, it's it, it, it does kind of, it very much is from that sort of early 70s kind of sound. But, I you know, it doesn't have... It's not quite as unbridled and furious as I kind of expect from a lot of kind of hard rock from the 70s. And, you know, and it's, and this was hard for the day, but it's mixed kind of interesting. It, it, the, it doesn't, the bass isn't really high up. And I actually listened to some later T-Rex, a couple albums after this one, which are, were also good and I enjoyed, but those were mixed with a little more of a low end to them. This one is a little more of a, kind of a fuzz. The guitar is a lot more uh, prominent. It is kind of a, a fun, party-ish kind of album until it gets kind of dark and weird in a couple places. Um, girl, I, I think I think we'll probably be unanimous in not liking Girl that much. I could be wrong. We'll see. Anybody I, like Girl? Let's just establish that now. Anybody? I don't remember which song that is, so, so I guess, probably so I guess not. Starts, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a terrible misogynistic uh, yeah. movie one. Yeah. yeah that the one, opening that one. lyrics really... Are the best way to describe it. It's the one that that when you hear it, you say, "Oh God, girl!" It's the first two <laughs> words of the song. Best way to remember it. Uh, you know what, Will? I you said you heard a, like a lot. There's a lot of influence from later on. I I heard other other songs when I'd be listening to this, and this came out first. Yeah. Um, yeah. A big, a two big ones that I heard. One was uh, Ever- "Everlasting Light" by the Black Keys, which is the opening out song of their album Brothers. Sounds a lot like Mambo's son to me. Beneath the beatbox moon, I want to crew with you. Um, and then the other one was a Bang a Gong, which is the big, the, you know, the big single from this album. Sounds a lot like Taking Care of Business by Bach and Trigger Overdrive. <laughs> um, and I, I was listening to it just before, like you know, an hour before we we're recording this, and I thought. This sounds like BTO, and that was exactly. And I was like, "Oh yeah, it really does." And I, I, I heard that really strong. The biggest hit was TCB. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, so I, 
you you hear those kind of that you hear those footprints kind of as it goes on is it's it's kind of a dumb album and i don't mean that in a, in a pejorative way really i mean i that's sounds that's a bizarre thing to say but i i don't mean that in a sense of this is stupid and not worth my time it's kind of a dumb party album and there you know there's a tendency to kind of I think especially once you get kind of snooty with your music, you can kind of underrate that. I, I don't think that I, I I mean it in the best way possible. It's got a lot of big hooks. Uh, it feels like almost some of the songs are getting ready to go into big extended lead breaks, and then it kind of stops. Like the song will fade out before it goes into that. Like you're almost you were just conditioned by Toto to expect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> almost like they don't quite have enough talent to make one happen. Well, you know, and, and I, you know, Aaron, I, I'm sure you're going to harp on this. It's not about, it's not about talent, though. I mean, it's not a, right, right. You know, it, this is more. There's, it's almost totally occupied with, with like swagger and attitude, um, and very much, it's a very rock and roll, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of album, which is exactly how yeah. the lead singer and guitarist lived and died. I mean, that's <laughs> that's it, that, not that, surprising. That's, yeah, that that's entirely where he was, and it is. It, it, to be it fair. He died because his girlfriend was driving drunk. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, they, well, he, got me. he didn't OD. I think I assumed he OD'd. Shows you would I think, know. but no, no. You, you they, would think they were, so. they were leaving a party and she... before the car crash. They, right. they had, a, they had a, a single car collision, and she uh, made it with some injuries, but he did not. Wow. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm fascinated. Maybe Will can, will be able to give us some background here eventually, but I'm fascinated how this band could transition from being a folk band um, <laughs> I don't like in my head that's so incongruous. And yet, the other thing I wanted to I wanted to draw attention to I there's a lot of sci-fi themes going on in here. Um, Mo- Monolith was a big one, which of course would be like a 2001 reference. Was there vision since the ages and then Planet Queen. You know, flying saucer take me away, which is, it sounds so goofy to modern ears to hear that, and yet this is kind of in the days when that before, or that subculture was just beginning to form. I also do love, I mean, isn't one of the guys, didn't he take on Peregrine Took as his name, basically? That was the bongo player, <laughs> yeah. And his leaving the band was part of the transition away from uh, hippie folk music to. Well, there you go. Because he was plan. he was in Tyrannosaurus Rex, is that right? Right, and he he eventually came around to the transition to T Rex, but apparently was very much against it. Oh, um, and okay. and Gandalf was not for it. <laughs> that actually, you know, John, you were talking about Ramble On by Zeppelin. I think of Ramble Ramble On and the Battle of Evermore, which have explicit Tolkien references in them. Ramble On mentions Gollum, and uh, Battle of Evermore mentions the Ringwraiths. And I and I thought, you know, it's just weird that this is a, an age when that was not ridiculously uncool, but before it had become super duper like common and commercial. Like now, it's like a big mainstream thing, you know. But it was. It was way before that, and even before it had become kind of a nerd cliche thing. And so I, I think it's kind of fun to have those sci-fi references in there. That's very much something that's of its time, you know, very 1971 kind of thing. But it's and so the the album kind of feels like it's from that time, but in a in a, in a very good way, in a way that makes me feel like we're kind of poorer for not having more stuff like this today. That's that's my thought on that. I agree, and it's while musically they aren't really they don't feed into that at all. I think lyrically they do. Um, so much of, of that kind of 
space sci-fi theme, Planet Queen in particular, and Monolith as well, um, to me, lyrically, almost seems kind of early funk. Yeah. Um, the, you know, like, talk about spaceships and things like There's that. There's a very kind of spacey, celestial kind of over, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. music kind of has that. There's a weird soulful, almost, I want to say gospel, but I don't know if that's really the word. But, you know, the, the, there's that kind of very heavy on the kind of angelic female vocals that it's got kind of a swing and a, a croon to it a little bit. Um, and, and that's, that's a, I, I like those two songs because of that. You know, again, they're not musically not super duper gifted, but they, they know what they're doing in terms of atmosphere and attitude, and it, I think that carries it off. And I, I'm with Ryan. I do like Rip Off a lot, although I would say I'd put it in a different spot of the album. I don't know where. but Well, I actually heard it... Um, sometimes Google Music is weird and it won't queue up songs correctly, or like if one doesn't work, it'll kind of skip. So this, well, the first time I fired it up, uh, Rip Off came first. And, and so I was listening to it, I was like, man, this is a weird song to start an album with. <laughs> Um, but I actually, by the end of it, I was like, okay, all right. I can kind of, yeah, you know, like it grown on me by, by the end of it. But, you know, Ryan, um, you say that I, I think Mambo Sun and Cos- Mambo Sun, maybe not so much, but it's weird for me to go straight from Mambo Sun into Cosmic Dancer because yeah. I don't think that's very indicative. Those two songs aren't very indicative of the kind of album it feels like. Um, yeah. they're especially Cosmic Dancer, which is a much more subdued song. And I, I like the song. Um, but it's just like, it, it doesn't really hit the pedal until Jeepster, which is the third track. And I like that song a lot too. So Yeah. So we've had two people who've liked it. We should talk to Aaron now, because I want to know what Aaron thinks. <laughs> well, yeah, the first time I listened to it, um, the arc of my listening was, first time I listened to it, I thought, amateur high school band. Um, and then it got better and better. And then I started listening a little more. And it started falling a little back closer to the amateur high school band. Um, I've always <laughs> liked, I always liked the the vocals. Is it Mark Bolin? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I believe. And I mean, he's, I mean, he's great as a performer. I think the vocals are very good. The he's lyrics... got a, he's got a really good vocal for this kind of music too, because he sounds yes. like he's always on the edge of a quote unquote release, if you will. Um, I feel like this is Mark Bolin with a really lousy backup band, and he's part of the, and he's an average guitar player. I mean, um, so like I, I like so that's kind of how I felt initially, but like just taking it as a whole, I I we talked about it a little bit before, but to capture the album, I kind of see this as um, kind of like a church spaghetti dinner. Um. <laughs> You know, no one likes church spaghetti dinners. We like spaghetti. We don't like church spaghetti dinners. We don't. We go there and we hope we can find like some brownies we like, or maybe if you're if they have some meatballs on the side, they're good. You know, <laughs> you know, we might get into that. But you know, it's fine if you're only expecting to snack. You know, it's good. It functions socially. We like seeing our friends. We don't want to go there and have a meal. You know, and so this song, this album feels that way i mean we've got like mambo sun which is a good song um it and but then we also have just from then on until we get to bang a gong we have a whole bunch of really either awful songs or very average songs and then we don't get in oh, but man jeepster much... jeepster man yeah it's all it's oh come on yeah i mean <laughs> jeepster if you could get to the end 
for me. The last line that I think is great, girl, I'm just a vampire for your love, and I'm gonna suck you. I love that. It's great. But see, I need so more filthy. I need <laughs> some more filthy, flamboyant slam stuff, you know? I mean, and that's what, with Ripoff, I think what was great is it was interesting. I mean, it was it's kind of stupid, but it's like, I want to tickle your peach is one of your lines. Um, <laughs> you know, you'll clean it's it like, up. It's like a real that's Spinal Tap album. <laughs> really interesting lyric. Terraplane Tommy wants to bang your gong. The president's weird, he's got a burgundy beard. These are great lines that just kind of flow. And we all want to say it's a ripoff. It's a rip- we just kind of all feel a mix of dirty, sleazy, fun, looseness. And I think, um, unfortunately, it's not. That is one of the high points of the album. And, and, and I say that because I don't really like ripoff that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I have some more stuff to say on the individual songs, but just to me, it it lost me halfway through most of the songs. And so that was a problem. Like, but it was memorable. But not in a way that I wanted the ten minute version of the album, you know? So there you the go. condensed version. Yeah. John, how about you? I want to hear what you think. Okay. Um, not surprisingly, the only song I'd ever heard um and actually could recognize as T Rex was Get It On. And I mean Also known <sighs> as Bang a Gong for all you folks yeah. at home. All yeah, those I in mean, America. Yeah. Um, it was actually called Get It On in the UK. Oh. That's why it's parenthetical. There was a, there was a song called "Get It On" by I believe called Chase or something like that. Correct. And so that was released in the same year. Same year. Oh, so they yeah. said we need a different title for the United States. Okay. Um, my problem is that was the song that I kind of liked and hated the most. I liked it because it's definitely the most catchy, in my opinion. But it's catchy for like 15 seconds, and it just repeats over and over and over. My best example of this is that they've used it in like a JCPenney commercial. At JCP Shop, you'll find well-made clothes that stand on their own and mix with your favorites. Building blocks of style at amazing prices, and only at JCP. It's perfect for a commercial. It is. It's, it's, it's literally a 15 to 20 second listening experience, and I'm good. I like the catch. Uh, it's a good hook. And then I don't have to listen to it ever again. So, you know, if that's that was, you know, that was the only one that I knew right off the bat. I do kind of like Mambo Sun. Um, Cosmic Dancer is just one that I just want to, like, I, I really just want to jump off a bridge when I have to listen to that. Um, <laughs> can I, ju- can I, mean, I jump in there real quick? The end of Cosmic Dancer is an amateur drummer practicing drum fills. He's like, he's got his coach there saying, all right, ready? End of the phrase, drum fill one. Okay, change it up. Drum fill two. Ready? He's like a middle schooler practicing. It's like, it's just awful music. I mean, it's, and now, sorry, the, it is fine. There's some interesting lyrical things, but like the end of that just musically is, and this is a common theme. This is, like middle schoolers rehearsing. I mean, it's it's at points it's it's pretty terrible. And that point was just it's so blatantly awful musically that it's just hard to. Sorry, I'm, that's too too much. Sorry. What I was gonna say, <clears throat> um, I I do find a um, despite my best intentions to hate it as much as I can, um, because that was my initial reaction. It was like, oh my gosh, exactly what Aaron said. Like, I feel like I'm back in, like, listening to the forum show, and it's, 
you know, kids that have never played together ever decided, man, we're going to form this bitchin' band, and we're going to perform, and we're going to get dates to the prom, and... <laughs> And then I bet he oh. did. I bet Mark Bolin did get lots of dates to the prom. Yes, male model. Sure he, uh, he he was uh, a male model before this, which to me also speaks somewhat volumes. Um, although I guess wasn't Bowie also or something? Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I, I thought I saw. I think that. Bowie would object to the label male model. <laughs> yes, so, model. yeah, yeah model. Um, but um. The one thing I will give it um, is that I kind of do like about three of the songs. Um, So it's basically for me, and again, from the last episode or two episodes ago with the Toto thing, it's pretty much on par with what I like as far as a percentage of most Toto albums. Um, So that's a plus for it. Um, I also think it's ironic to have the last song on the album called rip off um because you get all the way to the end and you're like oh yes but uh no i i actually the ones that stick get stuck in my head and i end up liking surprisingly are cheapster um that one stays in my in my that brain was, a lot that was their second single on the uk from yep. the album so it's okay well that makes sense i like i like it i hated it at first but then i was like man i I keep singing it and like it would it would come on and I would be like okay yeah I can get into this you know get it on for like it, if I basically listen to individual 15 second intervals it's like I'm listening to the same song on repeat but it's okay um and then I I like Planet Queen also I like that I think probably because of the lyrics because oh, yeah. it's such in your face like the dragon so head goofy. machine of lead King, dancer in the moonlight, dragon head. Like, you know, I kept hearing like dragon head, and I'm like, all right, we're cool. Um, and so I, I really like that one. I, I've listened to this probably 30 times, and Life's a Gas actually is not is not something that I hate either. That that's one I think that I remember, like listening. Especially, to it's a good, it's a great way to sing. close the album, even though that's not the actual end of the album, isn't it? Right. Yeah, rip off was the worst ending that they could have possibly done, because then you're like, man, this is trash. This song is horrible, and I feel like I just got ripped off, um, because it reminds you of all the bad moments from the previous. And life's a gas was a good ending, because it leaves you on a high note. My my biggest thing and. Again, I've got nothing against the the good states of uh, what is it, Colorado now, and um, where, where's pot legal? Yeah, Washington, Washington Pro. I'm assuming, yeah. Um, Ryan would know. <laughs> what a uh... this song Sorry, just smell just it it just feels like a joint. I mean, it makes sense. Well, this whole I'm sure. album just smells like skunk. Like. <laughs> It's a contact high just listening to it. That's and that, that's kind of like especially like Cosmic it's a Dancer. Cloud, it's the cloud coming out of the amp. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmic Dancer rem- reminded me of being at Lollapalooza and Primus was on stage, and there was a dude nice. next to me that was on mushrooms that he took right in front of me, and was like doing like all sorts of dancing that had nothing to do with the music, and. He was the cosmic dancer. I mean, 
<laughs> hope I didn't brain my damage. So, I mean, that's what I think of when I hear John's this. John's like, album. guys, I found him. He's right here. <laughs> and he was probably actually these very worried about whether or not it was great. strange to dance so late. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah. So, it, again, overall, um, I get why it's important. Um, because, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of this out there, um, back then. I just, man, I'll tell you what, if I'm getting a 1971 album, there's a lot other things that I would choose. Who's Next came out, you know, and I know Nate made the point that, you know, Who's Next and Led Zeppelin 4 are both really... Yeah, you know, those, they're pinnacle those, those are pieces. Like, yeah, those are timeless milestone albums. I, you know what? I, I will say this. I don't think I, I enjoy this album, but I enjoy it kind of in like a party dumb kind of way. And I don't. And I, I could don't, see again, that it could be on in the background, and I would not be offended. Yeah, and you know, and I. So I think now to say it's important and a classic, I think that's hard to do without context. Um, which you know we shouldn't have to to. I, I don't need the context to enjoy it, but I think to kind of. If I'm going to say it's a classic and a really important album, then I need to say, well, yes, because this is what was going on. It it, it doesn't. Um, I, I I it is very much of its time. It doesn't transcend it, like Led Zeppelin four and Who's Next do. Like Who's Next is one of my very favorite albums. That's just a right. Just that's just top to bottom an unbelievable record. And so, I you know there's. In, in that sense, yeah. I, but at the same time, if you're going to call it one of the big important albums of 71, I don't. it doesn't stack, stack up to those. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't. So that's that's. But yeah, you're right. I, th- I think the importance is only really kind of contextual to me, at least. I'm not sure if Will, Will might disagree with that. But No, I think that's fair, at least in some ways. Um, yeah, this is not a Zeppelin four, but it's also I mean. The fact that we're trying to put it in that context to me says something. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, that while this is kind of, I wouldn't say it's all over the map, but it's it's partially over the map in a lot of ways. Um, compared to say who's next or Zeppelin Four, it it's still fairly cohesive and it and it speaks to it speaks to the time, but it also. I think there are some fairly timeless elements to it. Um, yeah. I think... Yeah, for sure. Well, you might change a little bit about the production. I think this is something that you could listen to now and say, yeah, that's, you know, that seems like early whatever, but it, it doesn't... It's not stuck in an era in the same... At least not certain tracks yeah. from it. You know what the the low the, the production feels a little lo-fi and it reminded me a little of early Black Keys stuff, which Black Keys are way bluesier and much grimier sounding, but just that kind of idea of, oh there's not really any bass to speak of. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think and that so... was my biggest problem is that if you're going to try to be grimy, be grimy. It was almost like it was um clean dirt rock. I mean, I I mean I don't Every song kind of started with like the acoustic one, two, one, two, three, four, five. You know, it, it, it yeah. all they all started with the strumming pattern that's exactly the same. You're like, yep, this is T Rex, still on Electric Warrior. <laughs> so well, they're very is, cohesive in that. That this is, I mean, and I'm sure part of this at least has to do with them being British as opposed to the era. Um, but the, especially at the end of, of Jeepster, where he puts in the, the Bono sex groans. Um, 
that's like that's that all was... he sings in, man. That's like his whole <laughs> yeah. his whole well, singing voice. But, is but specifically, but specifically the ooh, 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 yeah. that are there in that track and and a couple others, but not the whole time. That they apparently they actually like added those to sex up the album. Um, I'm not surprised. That's at really all. funny. <laughs> yeah, and and that's kind of that element that you know like overt sensuality rather than there's certainly a lot of sensuality to to the kind of to blues um but i'd say it's present lyrically in blues in a way that it's not present musically um yeah and or at least not explicit musically and that transition to explicit sexuality is kind of what made glam what it is and this was it, one of the earlier albums yeah. to do that and I'll throw I'll throw T Rex a little bit of a bone here too. Um, to be fair, I think one of the things that maybe has hurt us trying to say, well, they're important because is I mean Mark Bolin didn't live that long, right? And you know all the other bands, you know they most of them lived a while, um, you know, or at least most of their members did. And so their influence was seen throughout the decades. They got to accept, you know, lifetime achievement awards. And so everybody just, you know, rides their jock because of that. Well, and also, um, probably more saliently, we aren't British. I'm curious to hear what a couple of you have to say on this because quite a few people think that Jack White in The White Stripes, not his current arc of music, but like his White Stripes stuff is very influenced by t-rex uh yeah I, I i can hear a little bit of that and ryan you you're another big stripes fan here i don't know how how much will and yes i know and will no. knows it, him and likes him maybe in the maybe in the sense that it has kind of you know white share some of the tone i guess of just kind of the grimy some of his stuff has sort of the but i mean his music is just way more disciplined than this i mean yes he's he's a he's just a better guitarist and i'm not i'm not saying that i'm saying no i know but no i I get what you mean totally though you know what ryan you haven't you haven't said anything yet. i'm gonna go ahead and give you some time here because i don't i don't want to i don't want to get away from us so did you have something you wanted to talk about with this yeah i mean just thinking about it and the way you guys are talking about it i think one of the reasons i like it is because it did sort of bring out the inner teenager in me a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean i i do like ripoff a lot because it's just like yeah man it's a ripoff fuck it you know like so badass i'm gonna smoke under the bleachers (laughs) you know it just kind of brought that frame of mind uh it makes me think of like maggie's farm by bob dylan you know and it just kind of brings up that that mindset um you know that's not a space I want to live in all the time, but it's fun to visit every once in a while. Well, you know, we there is a thing where rock is kind of a it is a teenager's genre. Oh, totally. I, I, before before it's a thirty year old dad genre. Right. You know, right. <laughs> and so I, that's it's easy to forget that. So yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh, I really like Cosmic Dancer for as crummy as the music is. I it just it reminds me so much of, of Bowie. Um, Bowie done not as well as Bowie does it, but just kind of that. Airy, cosmic. I don't know. Yeah, like he is the cosmic dancer. I keep thinking that. It does sound otherworldly in the same way that Bowie does. Yeah, um, and you know, maybe not as effectively as it could, but it's just kind of. And in a weird way, it's subversive, just Mm -hmm. talking about being the dancer. And uh, I don't know, it's strangely. 
yeah, I guess if, if, if I had to pick out what I like about it, it just does feel subversive in weird ways uh, that I don't necessarily expect. And, you know, Girl is awful. It's a terrible song, but, you know, Girl accepted there's a lot here that I like. I actually didn't like, uh, what was it, Ring Is it Ring the Gong? Is that what it is? Bang a Gong. Or Bang a Gong, sorry. Yeah, I don't really like that one. That yeah, was one today that I was thinking of songs that I just really didn't like, and that was one that I didn't like, um, especially the last... Gosh, it's only four minutes long, but I was going to say the last four minutes of it felt interminable, but uh, I guess it's the last 90 seconds or whatever. It just feels like it kind of Well, four on. minutes is appropriate. Oh, yeah, it's just, totally. Because it just, it's the same song over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, I just didn't really care for I it. I actually kind of agree with you on 15 that, seconds at a time. On that particular front, that that song feels like it's trying a little bit too hard. Like, if you take some of the elements of Mambo Son and Jeepster, those kind of, you know, you know, groovy, dancey, um, with a little bit of sleaze underneath. But then Bang and Gong's like, ooh, we should be that band with a little bit of sleaze underneath. Yeah, the and, it's, it's, it's a very calculated single. Right. Like, it has a feeling of, oh, we got to write our hit single. Well, let's do this. I got this kicking around, and we'll just juice up the one hook and do it for four minutes and call it a day. You know, and so it's <laughs> it, it has a little bit of that. You know, one thing I'm hearing, and I heard a little bit of this from John and from Aaron, and you guys can speak to this, but... I'm almost hearing like you almost wish he'd gone a little further in the glam direction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not completely disagreeing with that because there is a feel where this is a little subdued actually. I mean, it, which is a weird thing to say when you have just like, in the production. Jeep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm even saying like, I think the song, I, I think it fares a little better when it's a little louder and rowdier myself or, yeah, but then it wouldn't be stoner music. Well, yeah, I mean, not, you know, I, I, they don't want to be woken up. <laughs> you got me. Um, so I, I, I think it's more interesting when it's like I, I, I like Bang and Gong fine. It's not the best song. I like Jeepster a lot though. Um, I do like Rip Off. It's a dumb song and a weird place to end. But I, you know, and so I, I like that kind of stuff a little more. I'm almost wondering if we're kind of expecting it to be full on glam, when really it's it's sort of a it's sort of a precursor, more than that. Yeah, it really is proto glam in that sense, in that it's. You, it's setting the stage for it, but not really taking that fabulous first step into uh, <laughs> into true glamdom, whatever that means. I think that's 100% accurate because, I mean, if you look at the bands that are attributing uh, T-Rex as an influence, you've got Kiss. Yeah. You've got um, Guns N' Roses. The Sex Pistols, like all sorts of these, like very, very all in your face, but oh, Def Leppard, um, Motley Crue, very much the, you know, I'm gonna use the themes that he, that Mark Bolin uses in Tech T Rex. But I'm gonna take it to the next level. You know, I'm gonna paint my face crazy colors, or I'm gonna, you know, have really overt sexual uh, material on stage. You know, things like that. That. that yeah. And, and, and this is, uh, I think it, historically it is interesting because it is 1971. It's pretty early, and so I think a lot of the value historically is it's early. But like. For me, I would rather go the prog route. I mean, Genesis, uh, Peter Gabriel is very flamboyant. Despite its place in history, 
you know, at its core, this really is just kind of garage rock doing its thing. And yeah, we're, we're probably doing it a disservice saying calling it glam, really. I mean, yeah, it's like, I, well, it, like, like, it, it, it kind yeah. of was the original glam, but it but it, it it's not Bowie and it's not it's definitely not Kiss. And um, well, I'm saying that's the, those were the people who yeah, listened it, to him as an influence. Oh sure, right, well, and, and you hear it. I mean, it's there. It's yeah, but you know they, but they're the ones who kind of took these influences and turned it into a genre, and it's definitely not there at this point. And well, you're right that yeah, Genesis was forming at at this same point in history. They were forming around a different idea entirely. Genesis eventually leads to you know Dream Theater's later work, and then like in an alternate history or alternate timeline. T-Rex leads to mm, Weezer and the Killers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see the, Complete, yeah, you know, yeah. their, the image their different... aspect, at least. Like, Bolin himself. I mean, I think that's where people maybe take the glam thing a little bit too right. far. Just his, just his um, bravado and everything, I think, was... Um, where people are getting the glam from because that's where that's what people expect from like the Motley Cruz and um, Kiss and things like that just the full bravado and Bolin certainly had that from what I've read um, and maybe that's where it's he's that and, and also the cosmic dancer style like you know Bowie is very glam even though it's not Kiss style glam and you know that that sort of kind of ethereal space gender neutral yeah. rock is is where this started but this is very not gender neutral. <laughs> this is I have a penis and I'm going to tell you about it. So <laughs> it's like the it, it's like the it's like the album equivalent of the trailer for Pacific Rim. It's a <laughs> it's an enormous throbbing erection of an album. <laughs> I was thinking of Captain Hammer. Because she's with Captain Hammer. Yes. I'm not the hammer. Where the, the, the guitar is my penis. Uh, used flaccidly and with some misdirection. <laughs> well, we're going to earn that I E if it's the last I, thing we do. I don't know how we could top that. I, I think I know where the cuts are going to come in this album. <laughs> cut oh, that man. now. Cut you, Aaron. The hammer is my penis. I kind of like the song Monolith. I don't know if you guys like that one. I like that one too. There's a, like a constant backup vocal thing going on in the back that I think is nice. It reminds me kind of of what Pink Floyd does with Great Gig in the Sky a couple years later. I kind of appreciated that at an artistic level. Like this is let's see let's layer these things appropriately. And I always liked his voice layered when he'd go an octave above or something like that. And so, to me, the vocals were nice. It, it, it was, uh, it, it might be the kind of thing that if he could just have had a better band, but that might not have, that might have come off as a prog thing and been, and, and wouldn't have accomplished the same cultural thing that he wanted to accomplish. Maybe it's something that if you, if he had it covered, you'd probably like it more. If only, yeah, I bet, I bet the Toto song. version of these is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a way to do dirty that's just that's really in tune with 
what's the 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 what's well, good in blues in in well, and, and that's so just on. like this is kind of I I think I think you speak to something there that it's not dirty, it's not blues dirty, it's kind of the initiation of the seventies dirty, which you know the seventies is when dirty. is when disco came out and. Disco is extremely sexual, but in no way greasy. And I feel like there's a lot of... You can kind of see how this would get there. Uh, get to disco? Okay, sorry. I, I don't think I don't think this leads to disco, but that... Um, it, it, it's, it's a sort of attitude that leads... But it has that same sort of like... Yeah, overtones of sexuality. But underneath, it's very smooth and clean. Yeah, I guess I would just disagree with the production and like the guitar tone. I and some people would see that as artistic. I I, re- I watched, I read lots of reviews. I tried. I googled like T Rex sucks and couldn't find a, a review. You know, I couldn't find it, and it's so frustrating. It's funny because I cause I, I had no problem finding Toto sucks when I googled that. Yeah, I know, I know. Aaron, Aaron, I think we found a thesis for you. You can be on the vanguard of the T Rex. Hey yeah, man, primary primary source. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to find another album to see if Aaron likes that one better next time. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I hey, hate to be so overwhelmingly negative. No, you know what? You you withstood the onslaught against Toto last last time. So yeah, I, I don't think, think you've earned, earned ever the right. approached the vitriol that was part of Toto. No, no the Toto I, I, episode. I so. I'm just curious. Um, did anyone get any like meta artistic like statements coming from this? Kind of Ryan talked about one frustration with Toto is he doesn't see a, a why for this, and I'm wondering, do did you get any like meta why in an artistic level? Anyone for this? Uh, it's kind of like a lazy middle finger, just like you know, yeah, I mean, your mom comes I, in to get you out of bed on Saturday morning, and you're just like, oh, fuck <sighs> it, you know. That's kind of what I saw. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's you know in terms of. You know, I I think its greater meaning is just party woohoo. You know, I mean, it's not a. Well, it, it's it, it's definitely a fun album, and I think it has that kind of. It's all it's all swagger and not a lot of meat behind it. I don't think, but I I like that kind of thing. I think that's that can still be great music. It's just it's, you know, it, it maybe doesn't withstand a kind of scrutiny we put on songs in this podcast. So and I, th- I don't know. I think you're kind of mischaracterizing Ryan's beef with some of the Toto stuff, like. The, he did say why it exists, he doesn't see that, but on top of that, it, this has a point of view, even if it doesn't necessarily have a reason, each track, I feel like, has something to say, has something interesting to do, in a way that 90% of Toto's music did not. Yeah, I know what you mean. Wasn't as bad as I was expecting after I gave it the first listen. Uh, because I really was, I really was terrified that I was going to have one of these um, rage episodes that Ryan had. Um, we need more couple, of those. I think that's a couple that's of what makes more us rage episodes. Rage episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I found more good than I was expecting after my initial listen, and so I I will give this a solid um, B minus if I was giving it a grade. Good enough, but don't you don't show it to your parents, kind of thing. <laughs> well, like, hey, mom, I got a B minus. Oh, it's good. more like good I job. A lot about this album, I do not show my parents. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> to be fair, our parents yeah, are going to hear this podcast. This will be the first episode. More like my it's one that I'm not going to just be like, hey, you got to listen to this to you know a, a buddy. <laughs> right. Um, 
but if it's on in the background, right. I'm not going to be like, can't we just turn it to something else? So. Right. There you go. All right. Well, that I think about wraps it up for episode 10 of the Takedown Notice. We'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, please visit us on our website, thetakedownnotice.com. Catch us on Twitter. Uh, Takedown Notice is our handle there. Uh, email us, takedownnotice at gmail.com. You can subscribe uh, through our website or via iTunes. And if you do iTunes, hey, do us a favor and review us if you think you do that. We'd appreciate it. Um, and I believe we'll catch you all on episode 11. Thank you very much. Have a great one. I'll be honest, I skipped this track like seven times in a row. That is worse than I would do. I'm serious. <laughs> it does sound like something I would write when I was 12. Chances are, this particular song was written when he was 17. Right. Um, yeah. And probably not just 17, but 17 maybe had eaten some magic mushrooms and was also in the middle of a breakup. And when their powers combine, you get the lowest point on the album, no questions asked.